Section 1, Part 1 of Gifantia, or a view of what has passed, what is now passing, and during the present century, what will pass in the world. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Lake Placid, Florida. Gifantia by Charles Francois Tipshania de la Roche. Section 1, Chapter 1, The Hurricane. I was on the borders of Guinea towards the deserts that bound it on the north. I contemplated the immense wilds, the very idea of which shocks the firmest mind. On a sudden I was seized with an ardent desire to penetrate into those deserts and see how far nature denies herself to mankind. Perhaps, said I, among these scorching plains there is some fertile spot unknown to the rest of the world. Perhaps I shall find men who have neither been polished nor corrupted by commerce with others. In vain did I represent to myself the dangers and even the almost certain death to which such an enterprise would expose me. I could not drive the thought out of my head. One winter's day, for it was in the dog days, the wind being southwest, the sky clear, and the air temperate, furnished with something to assuage hunger and thirst, with a glass mask to save my eyes from the clouds of sands, and with a compass to guide my steps, I set out from the borders of Guinea and advanced into the desert. I went on two whole days without seeing anything extraordinary. In the beginning of the third I perceived all around me nothing but a few almost sapless shrubs and some tufts of rushes, most of which were dried up by the heat of the sun. These are nature's last productions in those barren regions. Here her teeming virtue stops, nor can life be farther extended in those frightful solitudes. I had scarce continued my course two hours over a sandy soil, where I meets no object but scattered rocks, when the wind, growing higher, began to put in motion the surface of the sands. At first the sand only played about the foot of the rocks and formed small waves which lightly skimmed over the plain. Such are the little billows which are seen to rise and gently roll on the surface of the water when the sea begins to grow rough at the approach of a storm. The sandy waves soon became larger, dashed and broke one another, and I was exposed to the most dreadful of hurricanes. Frequent whirlwinds arose, which collecting the sands carried them in rapid gyrations to a vast height with horrible whistlings. Instantly after the sands left to themselves, fell down in straight lines and formed mountains. Clouds of dust were mixed with the clouds of the atmosphere, and heaven and earth seemed jumbled together. Sometimes the thickness of the whirlwinds deprived me entirely of the light of the sun, and sometimes red transparent sands shone from afar, the air appeared in a blaze, and the sky seemed to dissolve into sparks of fire. Meantime, now tossed into the air by a sudden gust of wind, and now hurled down by my own weight, I found myself one while in clouds of sand, and another while in a gulf, Every moment I should have been either buried or dashed to pieces, had not a benevolent being, who will appear presently, protected me from all harm. The terrible hurricane ceased with the day, the night was calm, and the weariness overcoming my fears, 
I fell asleep. CHAPTER Two: THE FINE PROSPECT The sun had not yet risen when I waked, but the first rays enlightened the east and objects began to be visible. Sleep had recovered my strength and calmed my spirits. When I was awake my fears returned, and the image of death presented itself again to my anxious thoughts. I was standing on a high rock, from whence I could view everything round me, I cast with horror my eyes on that sandy region, where I thought I should have found my grave. What was my surprise when towards the north I spied an even, vast, fertile plain? From a state of the profoundest sorrow in an instant I'd passed, which usually requires time, to a state of the highest joy. Nature put on a new face, and the frightful view of so many rocks confusedly dispersed among the sands served only to render more affecting and more agreeable the prospect of that delightful plain I was going to enter. O oh, nature, how admirable are thy distributions! How wisely manage the various scenes thou presentest to our sight! The plants, which grow on the edge of the plain, are very small. The soil does not yet supply sufficient moisture, but as you advance, vegetation flourishes, and gives them a larger size and more height. The trees are seen to rise by degrees, and soon afford a shelter under their boughs. At last, trees coeval with the world appear with their tops in the clouds, and form an immense amphitheatre which majestically displays itself to the eye of the traveller and proclaims that such a habitation is not made for mortals everything seemed new to me in this unknown land everything threw me into astonishment not any of nature's productions which my eyes eagerly ran over resembles those that are seen anywhere else trees plants insects reptiles fishes birds all were formed in a manner extraordinary and at the same time elegant and infinitely varied. But what struck me with the greatest wonder was that in a universal sensibility, clothed with all imaginable forms animated the bodies that seemed the least susceptible of it, even to the very plants all gave signs of sensation. I walked on slowly in this enchanted abode. A delicious coolness kept my senses open to the pleasure, a sweet scent glided into my blood with the air. I breathed, my heart beat with an unusual force, and joy enlightened my soul in its most gloomy recesses. CHAPTER Three: THE VOICE One thing surprised me. I did not see any inhabitants in these gardens of delight. I know not how many ideas disturbed my mind on that occasion, when a voice struck my ears, uttering these words. Stop and look steadfastly before thee. Behold him who has inspired thee to undertake so dangerous a voyage. Amazed, I looked a good while and saw nothing. At last I perceived a sort of spot, a kind of shade fixed in the air a few paces from me. I continued to look at it more attentively, and fancied I saw a human form with a countenance so mild and engaging, that instead of being terrified, the sight was to me a fresh motive of joy. I am, said the benevolent shade, the prefect of this island. Thy inclination to philosophy has prepossessed me in thy favor. 
i have followed thee in thy late journey and defended thee from the hurricane i will now show thee the rarities of the place and then i will take care to restore thee safe to thy country this solitude with which thou art so charmed stands in the midst of a tempestuous ocean of moving sands it is an island surrounded with inaccessible deserts which no mortal can pass without a supernatural aid its name is gifantia it was given to the elementary spirits the day before the garden of eden was allotted to the parent of mankind not that the spirits spend their time here in ease and sloth what would you do o ye feeble mortals if dispersed in the air in the sea in the bowels of earth in the sphere of fire they did not incessantly watch for your welfare without our care the unbridled elements would long since have effaced all remains of humankind why cannot we preserve you entirely from their disorderly sallies alas our power extends not so far we cannot totally screen you from all the evils that surround you we only prevent your utter destruction it is here the elementary spirits come to refresh themselves after their labors it is here they hold their assemblies and concert the best measures for the administration of the elements chapter four the reverse of all the countries in the world added the prefect gifantia is the only one where nature still preserves her primitive vigor she is incessantly laboring to increase the numerous tribes of vegetables and animals and to produce new kinds she organizes all with admirable skill but she does not always succeed in rendering them perpetual the mechanism of propagation is the masterpiece of her wisdom sometimes she fails and her productions return forever into nothing we cherish with our utmost care such as are sufficiently organized to produce their kind and then plant them out in the earth a naturalist wonders sometimes to find plants that had never been noticed before it is because we had just then supplied the earth with them of which he had not the least suspicion sometimes also these exotics not meeting with a proper climate decay by degrees and the species is lost such are those productions which are mentioned by the antients and which the moderns complain are nowhere to be found such a plant still subsists but has long drooped and lost its qualities and deceives the physician who is daily disappointed the art is blamed it is not known that the fault is in nature i have now a collection of new symbols of the greatest virtue and i should have imparted them to mankind before now had not there been strong reasons to induce me to delay it for instance i have a sovereign plant to fix the human mind and which would give steadiness even to a babylonian but for these fifty years i have been diligently observing babylon and have not found one single moment wherein the inclinations customs and manners have been worth fixing i have another plant most excellent for checking the too lively sallies of the spirit of invention but thou know'st how rare these sallies are nowadays never was invention at a lower ebb one would think that everything has been said and that nothing more remained but to adapt things to the taste and mode of the age 
i have a root which would never fail to ally that sourceness of the learned who censure one another but i observe that without their abusing and railing at each other no man would concern himself about their disputes it is a sort of pleasure to see them bring themselves as well as learning into contempt i leave the malignity of the readers to divert themselves with the malignity of the authors moreover do not imagine that nature sleeps in any part of the earth she strenuously labors even in those infinitely minute spaces where the eye cannot reach at gifantia she disposes matter on extraordinary plans and perpetually tends to produce something new she everywhere incessantly repeats her labors still endeavoring to carry her works to a degree of perfection which she never attains these flowers which so agreeably strike the eye she strives to render still more beautiful these animals which to you seem so dexterous she endeavors to render still more so in short man that to you appears so superior to the rest she tries to render still more perfect but in this her endeavors prove the most unsuccessful indeed one would think that mankind do all in their power to remain in a much lower rank than nature designs them and they seldom fail to turn to their hurt the best disposition she gives them for their good on the babylonians for instance nature has bestowed an inexhaustible fund of agreeableness her aim was manifestly to form a people the most amiable they were made to enliven reason to root out the thorns that spring from the approaches of the sciences to soften the austerity of wisdom and if possible to adorn virtue thou knowest it her favors which should have been diffused on these objects have been diverted from their destination and frivolousness and debauchery have been clothed with them in the hands of the babylonians vice loses all her deformity behold in their manners their discourses their writings with what discretion vice unveils herself with what art she engages with what address she insinuates you have not yet thought of her and she is seated in your heart even he who by his function lifts up his voice against her dares not paint her in her true colors in a word where no one does vice appear less vice than at babylon even to the very names all things are changed all things are softened the sincere and honest are nowadays your moodish men who are outwardly all complaisance but inwardly full of corruption good company are not the virtuous but those who excel in palliating vice the man of fortitude is not he that bears the shocks of fortune unmoved but he that braves providence bare-faced irreligion is now styled free thinking blasphemy is called boldness of speech and the most shameful excesses gallantry thus it is that with what they might become a pattern to all nations the babylonians to say no worse are grown libertines of the most seducing and most dangerous kind chapter five the apparitions i return continues the prefect of gifantia to the elementary spirits their constant abode in the air always full of vapors and exhalations in the sea never mixed with salts and earths in the fire 
perpetually used about a thousand heterogeneous bodies in the earth where all the other elements are blended together this abode i say by degrees spoils the pure essence of the spirits whose original nature is to be as to their material substance all fire all air or other unmixed element this degradation has sometimes gone so far as that by the mixture of the different elements the spirits have acquired a sufficient consistence to render them visible people have seen them in the fire and called them salamanders and cyclops they have seen them in the air and called them sylphs zephyrs aquilons they have seen them in the water and called them sea nymphs naiads nereids tritons they have seen them in the caverns deserts woods and have called them gnomes sylvans fauns satyrs etc from the astonishment caused by these apparitions men sunk into fear and fear begot superstition to these creatures like themselves they erected altars which belong only to the creator their imagination magnifying what they had seen they soon formed a hierarchy of chimerical deities the sun appeared to them a luminous chariot guided by apollo through the celestial plains thunder a fiery bolt darted by jupiter at the heads of the guilty the ocean a vast empire where neptune ruled the waves the bowls of the earth the gloomy residence of pluto where he gave laws to the pale and timorous ghosts in a word they filled the world with gods and goddesses the earth itself became a deity when the elementary spirits perceived how apt their apparitions were to lead men into error they took measures to be no longer visible they devised a sort of refiner by which from time to time they get rid of all extraneous matter from thence forward no mortal eye has ever seen the least glimpse of these spirits end of section one